What's going on, Valley Christian Church? It's great to see everybody in here today. Give yourselves a round of applause. You guys look great. Jesus is Lord. He's on the throne. He deserves all glory and honor and praise. Amen. Listen, I want to make a huge shout out to all of the people at the Poughkeepsie campus. I love you, care for you guys. Thank you for watching. And then also for all of our online people, we are so grateful that you are here worshiping with us and being a part of this gathering. Now, we are in a new series right now called Uncommon, a relationship series. And when Dr. Greg felt to do this message and to do this series, he actually gave me the charge to do this message specifically about uncommon love i had to go through all of the things that are associated with the word common there's a lot of things when, when you think of common you think of ordinary you think of average you think of regular the younger generation likes to use basic specifically your basic if you hear that anybody in this room of an older generation do not take that as a compliment that is not a good Thing, all right that is a bad thing common is considered ordinary and that's not necessarily always a bad thing there are some good common things like common courtesies waving at people saying thank you when you receive something there's also a lot of things that are becoming way too common that aren't good at all for instance school shootings mass shootings here in our country have become way too common amen in fact, my heart goes out to all of those in the Poughkeepsie and now Ketchum schools that had to cancel due to school shooting threats, which is very dangerous. So my heart and prayers are going to all the families, the faculty and the students that are there that are very scared for the next couple of days. We're with you. Also, we just got out of a series called Hashtag Me Too, where the whole point of that was saying that sexual assault and abuse is something that is way too common in our culture, and it's something that needs to stop. So there are bad things that are common. There are some good things that are common. But one thing that I've come across in my studying of this is that nothing great ever comes of common. You can never do something normal or ordinary and have it be considered great. They can't exist in the same world. Now, I don't think I'm saying anything big here, but what I do want you to understand is that though we have common lives and many of us would consider our lives normal, we serve a very uncommon God. Jesus was a very uncommon individual. And the way he lived his life was not just uncommon, but it was also great. And not only does he live, did he live a great life, but he also calls us now to follow his example of living in that greatness. You know, something that compelled my heart when it came to this message was that there was the shooting in Florida not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, actually. And they had all of the coverage on television. But one of the things that broke my heart the most was while I was watching the coverage, they covered this one particular father whose child died from the Parkland shooting. And on his Facebook was a picture that said, vote for Trump. He had a vote for Trump shirt on. Now, whether you vote for Trump or not, you support him, that's your prerogative. That's not what we're here to talk about. But what broke my heart about this was that he had this picture that said, vote for Trump on his t-shirt on Facebook. And people commented on his Facebook page saying that his child deserved to die because of who he voted for. 
Now there is extremism on both sides of any political or any social agenda, but let's be clear, our culture is messed up. And if we don't find something to break out of this normalcy that we're in, where it's okay for you to hate someone because they don't have the same agreements as you, we are doomed to continue in this world of depravity. And this is why I believe Jesus calls us to do great things, and those great things are uncommon. Now, I'll be honest too, there was also something else that happened recently that connected me with this idea of having an uncommon love. Um, a couple weeks ago was Valentine's Day, and I've been married to my wife going on three years now. She's mad cute sitting in the front. And um, I wanted to show her that I still loved her a lot. So I decided back in January, because I'm a gift giver. I love to receive gifts and give gifts. That's like my primary love language. So I decided that I was going to get her some awesome gifts for Valentine's Day. So I was planning it all the way from January 1st. I wish I was joking, but New Year's Day, I was like, so what are we doing for Valentine's Day? And I thought about all these things. The first thing I came up with was this year, instead of getting my wife a dozen roses, I'm getting her two dozen roses, one for the office and one for the home. That way, wherever she goes, she knows that her man loves her and she's got the roses to prove it. I received that clap in the front, all right? The second thing I did, my wife, she loves to go to Bonefish Bar and Grill. Do you have any Bonefish fans in here? If you go to Bonefish, you know the most anointed thing on that menu is the Bang Bang Shrimp. That is delicious. God made it himself. It's in the Bible. I know it is, all right? Check Exodus. It's in there. This year, to show my wife how much I loved her, instead of taking her to Bonefish to get Bang Bang Shrimp, I made Bang Bang Shrimp at home, and it was delicious. That's right. That's right. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. Some of y'all didn't even know I could cook. I'm not going to lie. Most of my recipes are variations of cereals, but that's not the point. I stepped my game up for my bride. Then it came time, and I had different desserts and stuff, but the one thing that I was so excited about, I wanted to get my wife one of these cool designer bags. I like it when like a woman has a purse and her friend's like, oh gosh, girl, I love that purse. It's like, yeah, my man got it for me. He has such great taste. Like I wanted that to be me. I wanted that to be my story. So I decided that I was gonna go about myself finding the perfect designer bag for my wife. I checked online and guys, I found it. It was nice. It had the stitching in it, all this stuff. And I remember I bought it and it came with like, it was a cool deal that I bought. They said it was for Valentine's Day and it came with like a wallet and then like some other thing that girls like, I don't know what it was called, but I was like, this is going to be the perfect gift. So I get all of it and I, and, and I buy it, I order it online. It comes to my house the week before Valentine's Day. I get the package, I hide it upstairs. It's cool. Valentine's Day is going to be perfect now. The Friday before Valentine's Day. Me and my wife are sitting on the couch and we're watching television. We're watching a talk show called The Real. Some of you watch it. And on the show, they were highlighting different gifts that you can get for somebody special. And one of those gifts, believe it or not, was that exact same bag that I got my wife. And I remember I sat back and I looked at my wife, looking at her watching the television, and I'm waiting because this is like my Oprah moment. I'm waiting for her to be like, oh my gosh, I want that bag so much. And I pop out and I was like, baby, you got that bag. Congratulations. You're going home with that bag today. However, 
She looked at the bag. I looked at her look at the bag. And instead her reaction was, ew, I hate that bag. Dramatically but calmly, I paused the television. And I was like, what did you just say? Just to be clear what you just said. She was like, I hate that bag. That looks like a knockoff Michael Kors bag. It doesn't even look like real leather. Like, I can't believe this is even on this show. Can you believe this? This is horrible. So I'm looking at the bag and I realized, I thought it said MK, but I think it said JK. So I was like, oh shoot. This was not the bag I thought it was gonna be. So then I, I leave the room, I go into the bathroom and I text my, my three sisters. I have three sisters and I text them, I was like, what do you guys think of this bag? All of them said, this bag is hideous. I Like, where, why are you getting this bag? One of my sisters said, listen, I don't think it's a really nice bag, but I'm sure mom loves you enough where she'll take it anyway for her birthday. I was like, no, this isn't for mom, this is for Jasmine. And they were like, hold up, you bought this for your wife? Are you kidding me? It's like, just give her the money. Just give her money. Don't worry about it. I got her a candle. But um, I did all of that and it worked out. It was fine. But I did all of that because I didn't want my wife to think that my love for her had grown common. And the same way I would do that for my wife, the same way I believe God does that for us, and he also wants us to show love to others in that uncommon way not being perfect at it, but willing to take the steps necessary so that someone's life may be changed and see the love of the Father that abides in us. And I believe that this story is best captured from today's scripture. Today we're going to be in one primary scripture, if you're following along in your Valley App Notes. We're coming today from the chapter, uh, excuse me, the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 36. And what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at this exegetically, which is just a fancy word for saying we're going to be looking at this as if we were the people that were in the audience at this time. So the story starts off like this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, who is Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, being Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, quick pause right here on this story because there's something interesting that we're seeing here. First, we know that the lawyer has an agenda. It already says that he was trying to put Jesus to the test, but also lawyers at this time knew the law very well. By the law, I mean the five laws that were written in the first five chapters of Moses. Lawyers needed to know that because that was most of their defenses in court. So when the lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit the, the eternal life? Jesus already knows that the lawyer knows the answer. And because Jesus knows that this man knows the answer, he already knows that there's an agenda here that he's trying to get to. So instead of answering him directly, he, being Jesus and being very clever, says, how do you read it? What do you say that it is? The man answered, verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, again being Jesus, said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now, again, if you notice this, there's something interesting here. If you read this, this just seems nice. This just seems like, okay, cool. This is what I have to do to have eternal life. P.S. At that time in Jewish culture, eternal life did not just mean afterlife. It meant what do I have to do to have the most fulfilling life now? How can I have it now and in the afterlife? And this was the command in order to do it. And Jesus is saying, okay, all you need to do is all of these things and you got it. But the problem is this is impossible. 
Many of us don't know how to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Many of us don't know how to love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's be real, some of us don't even like ourselves. Some of us are so obsessed with ourselves, we don't even know how to love another person. This command in order to have eternal life is way too difficult for us. So the lawyer, instead of saying, okay, cool, thanks for your time, he decides to switch it up and he asks this question instead. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let's adjust the scales here. Let me know who to look for. That way I could do a better job with this whole thing. This is the entire agenda that the lawyer has. This is the point that he's trying to make. And Jesus, upon hearing this question, goes into something powerful and provocative and edgy that many of us have heard before, but we never fully understand what Jesus was trying to say. And I'm hoping that today we can see the truth that lies in the story ahead. But before I go into that, I want to lay down some groundwork before we get into this story. And spoiler alert, this is the Good Samaritan story. Some of you guys have grown up hearing this your whole lives. This isn't even like a unique church story. Culture knows this story. But the thing about this story is this, and I'll give you some background. See, I grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic church, all right? That means that this church is awesome, but it is not the same experience as what I grew up in. In my church, we called the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost showed up, a bunch of different things happened. First off, when the Holy Ghost showed up, church immediately extended to two hours plus. You came to the 11 o'clock service, but you're leaving at two. Like, you just get comfortable. I hope you brought a snack. When the Holy Spirit, excuse me, when the Holy Ghost showed up in my church, people started getting up and running around the room with the Spirit. Now, imagine inviting a friend for the first time, and you're trying to explain what's happening here. They're like, hey, bro, like, what, what, what is she doing? It's like, listen, bro, the Spirit is falling. Um, just get with the program, man. Just do it. The other thing about the Holy Ghost was at my church was there were these times where people would pray over others at the end of the service and they would put their hands on them and they would literally pass out. And you have to pray to God that there was somebody there to catch him on the other side. And I remember that there were times that the Holy Spirit would move, the Holy Ghost would move, and sometimes people would catch into the Spirit, but then other times people didn't go into the Spirit, so they had to do like a courtesy fall. Some of you guys that have grown up in that church know what I'm talking about, where it's like, all right, nothing's happening, but I'm just going to close my eyes and pretend to faint just so I can keep the service going. Those were the things that I experienced in my charismatic Pentecostal church background. Some of you guys are like, he's making this up. I'm promising you, go to 12 Blue Hills Avenue in Bloomfield, Connecticut. You can see that this Sunday, all right? But either way, that was my experience. But I bring that up only because in my church experience, there was one thing that I valued so much about that, and that was this is that they taught solely that Jesus was the answer to everything. And yes, the Bible is filled with great um, moral concepts and success steps, but when you looked into the scriptures, you weren't just looking for just how to live right, but you were looking for Jesus in the scriptures. The Bible is 66 books dedicated to pointing to us to one person, and that is Jesus. And I believe that Jesus is trying to point this story that we are about to read to himself. And I'll prove it to you right now. Jesus begins this story. Verse 27. And he answered. Excuse me. That was the wrong verse. <clears throat> A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
real quick I need to say this that I believe that when Jesus does parables they are symbols of things that are happening in reality I believe that this man that is being talked about is not just a man but is a symbol of me and you and the people around us people that are living their lives but because of the hardship of life they end up hurt and damaged in the process and it leaves us half dead in fact scripture also echoes this Ephesians 2 verse 1 it's not in your notes but just off the top I know that Jesus says in his word in Ephesians 2 that yes we were alive physically but we were dead in our trespasses and sins yes we had physical life but spiritually we had no pulse and I believe that this is a symbol of what's happening to that man so the man is beaten and half dead but then the story goes on now by chance a priest was going down the road and when he saw him he passed on the other side so likewise a levite when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side now like i said church we're going through this exegetically tonight we need to put ourselves in the story because if you just read this in your 2018 mindset you miss something very significant about this story and that is this i actually have some pictures here of this road from jerusalem to jericho this is a real road this is the road right here we have one picture here and then we have another picture here all right go ahead and show the first picture again the road to jericho second picture another picture of the road to jericho i wonder if anybody here can notice something that i also noticed upon hearing this story again knowing what that road looked like the problem is there is no other side If someone was laying half dead on this road, you can't go up there. You die if you went down there. Meaning when Jesus says that the priest saw the man, the Levite saw the man, and he went on the other side, they didn't go around him. They stepped over him. And you have to ask yourself, how do you live with yourself? being able to see someone in such pain and such hurt and you would see that yet walk over them and continue about your way truth be told that's not too far-fetched of what our culture is today that's not too far-fetched of what many of us have probably experienced in our own lives but even more importantly is i think what jesus is trying to point here is that the law can't save us because he uses two specific characters. He uses a priest and he uses a Levite. Both were experts in the law. And when it came to the law, yes, it was good in pointing out our faults, but according to that law, you weren't supposed to touch anybody that was bleeding. You weren't supposed to touch anybody that was dead because if you did, then you would become unclean. So for them, for their own sake, for their own righteousness, it was better for them to keep moving forward. The law is good in that it shows the standard, but the law is incapable of saving us. Romans 8 verse 3a says this, that the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. It only just shows us how lost and destitute we are. Shown in the life of this Levite and this priest that walk over the man. But then a third character comes. And if it was up to me, if I was the one telling this story, I would have been the one that made the third character a lawyer. 
Because if we're just talking about morality here and how to live a good life, then you could just say a lawyer came and the moral of the story would be your neighbor is anybody that comes your way that's in need, story over. But instead, he doesn't say a lawyer, he says a Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now this is the part where it gets very controversial because in this day and age, in that time period, there was a strong racism against the Samaritans amongst the Jewish people. The Jewish people did not like the Samaritans. Jewish people thought that they were selected by God, they were chosen. The Samaritans were these half Jews, half Gentiles. The Samaritans also made political decisions that harmed Israel in the past. They had a lot of reasons to hate Samaritans. There was no eating with Samaritans. There was no business with Samaritans. If you were to have tried to marry a Samaritan, that would have meant execution for you. So when Jesus brings up a Samaritan, you could almost visualize, like in my mind, I picture like if I'm in this story, like Jesus telling this is like me watching the television. I'm one of those people where when something happens on television, I like talk back to it as if it can hear me. Like, don't do it, don't go down the basement. Oh, you went down the basement, you're dead. That's, that's your fault. I almost picture the people in the audience when they heard Jesus say a Samaritan, they were like, if the Samaritan is the hero in this story, I will leave this gathering. I want nothing to do with this. But nevertheless, the Samaritan had compassion. And he went to him and bound him up, bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. I believe that the Samaritan in this story was not just controversial, but Jesus was trying to connect the Samaritan to himself. Nobody is this good. Nobody is this righteous. The Samaritan had every reason to see the man being destitute who was most likely a Jew. If he wasn't a Jew, they would have made that clear. This man was not a Jew, yet he had compassion on him despite all of the treatment that Jews have done to his people, despite all the harsh uh, uh, environments that they put Samaritans in, he still felt the need to show compassion on this man. There's nobody else I could see being that way other than Jesus himself. Isaiah 53 verse excuse me 35 says this he was despised and rejected by men and one from whom men hid their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not the he in this passage is jesus and the same way jesus was treated it was the same way that many samaritans were also treated Yet Jesus did not allow how he was treated, how people treated his father to dictate how he loved us. And he came down, he healed our wounds, he picked us up, and he brought us to a place where we could receive care. But he did more than that. Verse 35. And the next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. I believe the innkeeper in this final part of the story is you and me, the church. And if Jesus is the Samaritan and the man is people that are hurting around us, then Jesus is asking us to have uncommon love towards those people. And I believe from this passage we can see at least four ways that we can show uncommon love. If you're still following along with your notes, the first way is this. 
uncommon love has proximity to pain. When I read this passage of scripture, I can't help but wonder why didn't the man, the Samaritan, bring the wounded man to a hospital? Wouldn't that make more sense? But that again wouldn't fit with the narrative because there were no hospitals on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. But what they did have was inns placed around the roads so that when people needed a place to rest or sometimes when it was very common to get beat up and bruised, they had a place where they could find shelter and recover from their pain that they were suffering. And I believe the same way that the inn was conveniently located so that someone can find healing, God has also placed people around us where they can also find his healing through us. The problem is so often it's very common for us to just not be paying attention. Many times, because of the way our culture is, people that are hurting, they like to put on a, a different face. They like to put a smile on and they like to make us believe that, that everything is fine, that everything is going great. But if you just ask them a couple more questions, you see that there's some brokenness happening inside and that they need something. They need someone to help make them whole. One of the ways that I try to do this in my own life to find the people that are hurting around me and I've mentioned this in a sermon that I did last year, but I like to do, whenever I travel with my wife or I go to a restaurant or a cafe, when the waiter comes up or the barista does my coffee, they like to say, is there anything else you need? And I like to ask the question, yeah, is there anything you need prayer for? I've been doing this for over a year now, maybe even a year and a half, and I could be here all day telling you stories of people that have straight up told me no. There are also people that have been like, all right, that's weird, but let's talk sometime about Jesus. I'd love to know why you do what you do. And also times where lives have been changed just because of that simple request. One story that I will tell you is not too long ago, me and my wife went on a trip. And I decided to call my bank to be sure that they didn't cut my funds because I was spending money in a different place. And the lady that I was on the phone with from the bank was very nice. I could tell she was like an older lady, maybe in her 40s and 50s, but very nice lady. And she was just going through all of these different things about the trip and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, you're such a nice person. Really, thank you so much. She was like, yeah, sure. Is there anything else you need today? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, just one question. I know it's going to be awkward, but so if you say no, it's fine. I know this call is being recorded for customer service or whatever. Uh, is there anything you need prayer for? And she began to sob. She started crying so hard over the phone, I couldn't even hear what she was saying instantly. And I remember the first thing she said was, thank you, God. I knew you were real. Thank you, God. I knew you were real. And I said, ma'am, what's wrong? And she told me that she was having life-altering surgery and she was terrified that she wasn't going to make it. And that she wanted a sign from God just to reassure her that he was with her, that she had her back. And somehow this guy calls her on the phone and asks if she needs prayer for anything. That is uncommon. That does not happen on a business call. That does not happen in her normal day-to-day. -day. And she took it as a sign from God that God had her back. And if I just hung up the phone, I would have just said, oh, what a pleasant lady, went about my day and had no idea about the pain and the hurt that was happening inside. 
But the same way there's people like that woman that was on the phone, there are people around each and every one of us. And we don't necessarily have to have the best words. And when I do pray for people, I usually don't pray for them right there. I say, all right, cool, listen, I will pray for you later on. I got to get to work. But what it says when we stop and we say, hey, listen, are you okay? Are you hurting? Can I pray for you? That is us having proximity to the pain, being close to it. But there's something else. The next thing is that uncommon love creates time to care. When I look at this verse 35, I, I again see that the Samaritan told the innkeeper to take care of the man, but the innkeeper probably had other customers to worry about. He had an end to run. He had things that he needed to take care of. To take care of this man, I'm sure might have been a valiant thing, but at the same time, that would have been extra time out of a schedule that he wasn't willing to spare. Yet Jesus, excuse me, the Samaritan, tells this man to take care of him. And I believe that there are people around us that are hurting. I think there's people around us that are hurting, and we know that they're hurting. But because of the busyness of our own lives, we don't necessarily give them as much care or show them as much love as we probably could. Uncommon love creates the time to show someone that you care to show someone that God is with them when they feel they are alone. I believe one of the ways that we can do this, something that I've done in my own life, is I do this particular devotional where it's the five things I do every day, five things to do every day. And I want to read these things for you real quick. This is actually available in your Valley app in a PDF format. So if you want to take it, download it, what have you, you can do it. I do this every day. But I ask myself these five questions. First question is, what will I pray about today? Second question, what will I study today? And God's word. If I don't have God's word in my life, I'm operating on my own strength, my own power, and I am not that strong. I'll tell you that right now. I need his word in my life. But then it goes to this, love those closest to me. Who will I spend time with today? Who will I write a card or text today just to send them an encouragement? Hey, listen, I hope you're doing well. I'm praying for you. I have your back. Let me know if there's anything you need from me. Just the text, just the letter. The next thing, make a difference in someone's life. Whose life will I make a difference in today? Who's someone who I can just walk over and be like, hey, how are you doing today? Hey, I thought about you, so here's a, here's a drink from Starbucks or whatever thing that you're into. Just I want to bless you today and just let you know that God loves you and so do I. And then last is, how will I rest, work out, or eat today? Because many times we are no good to other people if we're not taking care of ourselves. But the other way that I resonate with this today is that we just finished again the hashtag Me Too series. And I know we're deep in the note taking, but could we just have a huge round of applause for every person that found victory through the hashtag Me Too series, that found victory to speak up about what has happened to them, that's found freedom from what they were captive by. We have spent so much uh, no, not we, but we have been receiving so many letters and emails and 
and, and voicemails of people saying, listen, I was keeping this inside for years. This was something that happened to me as a child and I stuffed it and I compressed it because I felt like in order to be normal, in, normal, in order to be common, I needed to just act like everybody else. But finally, this message gave us freedom. And I'll be honest, church, church, we had a completely different series in mind. We had a completely different agenda before we did that series. But God put it on Dr. Greg's heart to not just do the message, but to do it now because we knew that there were people hurting here in this church that needed victory from the assault and from the abuse that happened to them so long ago. Could you imagine if we said, listen, yeah, hashtag me too is a big deal, but in actuality, we got our own agenda. We'll get to it eventually. Certain people, maybe even in this room right now, would still be dealing with the same struggles and sicknesses that came from those assaults, from those harassments but now we're finding victory and even getting steps towards counseling and we praise God for that. But that brings me to my third thing, is that uncommon love requires faith to move forward. The Samaritan gave the innkeeper two denarii and said, whatever else you spend, I will repay. God gives us all gifts and abilities and many times we don't think that we can do enough because we feel like we don't have enough. Maybe it's not a situation of time, but we just feel like I'm not a professional counselor. I don't know how to talk to these people through some of the things that they're going through. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I didn't have a good lifestyle. I can't give these people good advice, but sometimes God is just telling you, use what's in your hand. Do you have a listening ear? Give someone a listening ear. Do you feel like you just need to invite them over just for some time to just break out of their regular routine? Go ahead and do that. But God gives us whatever we need, but whatever else we need to do, sometimes we have to go by faith in order to do it, and you will be surprised how much he supplies in those moments to give us what it is that we need in order to help those that are in need. But the last point, and I'm concluding here, is that uncommon love is ready when you are. Verse 36 of this story. Jesus says this to the lawyer. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? I love this question because it's actually a statement. The question that the lawyer asked Jesus was, who is my neighbor? Jesus asked the question, who was a neighbor? The lawyer was saying, when do I have the opportunity to be a neighbor? And Jesus is saying with this question, everybody around you is your neighbor. Are you being a neighbor to them? There are people around you that are doing well. Yes, there are people around you that are doing very tough. What are you doing for them? Church, I confess that I have been blessed. I have a wonderful family. I have a beautiful wife. I have an awesome job. But all of these things are not just for me to just sit around in my room and just do whatever it is that I want with the spoils God has given me. I have been blessed to be a blessing. Every person in here, if you are blessed and you are blessed, you have been blessed to be a blessing to somebody else. God does not give you things just for you to enjoy, but for you to use. And many times we sit around and we're like, okay, God, give me the opportunity to do it. And God is answering back. The opportunity is all around you. You just haven't stepped up. 
let us be the church let us be the people that don't just wait for another school shooting for us to post out a tweet and pray for people there's people hurting around us now and p.s there are people still hurting in florida let us not continue let us not stop praying for them just because it's no longer the headline in our facebook feed but i believe that when we do this and when we live this way people will not only experience uncommon love but they will experience the great love that is the love of Jesus, which is ultimately the only love that can heal, the only love that can restore, the only love that can make new. And yes, we are just humans, but God still uses us. Again, church, uh, I've said this once before, but I don't think we're waiting on a move of God. I think we are a move of God. So let us continue to make that move today. I just wonder right now, would you bow your heads or would you pray with me? I want to make a prayer for each and every person in here right now under the sound of my voice. That has been a believer and you're, and you're walking with faith and you feel like your spirituality has just become common. I wake up, I go to church when I can, and I go about my life. What I pray for today is that God stirs in your heart the need to say, you know what, God, if you loved me so greatly, that you had every reason to deny me, yet you did everything you can so that I may have life. Might I do that for somebody else? Might I show your love to somebody else that's in need? Let's pray for that together. Father, I thank you for each and every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you for, Father, the power that is known as Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, I pray over each and every person in here today that is a believer in Jesus Christ, that has the great love of the Father living in them, that they will now have the love of the Father moving through them. I thank you for the great things that are happening in this church, for the freedom, for the deliverance, for the restoration, for the peace, for the joy that is coming to the believers that, that, that Father God are calling upon your name. But Father, we know that there are still more that need help. We know that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And Father God, we are standing here. We are sitting here before you saying, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, use me. I'll go to my job. I'll go to my neighborhood. I'll go to my family and I will show the love of the Father wherever I go and I won't be perfect at it but Father God I'll do my best to be sure you're seen through it in some way shape or form Father we thank you and we believe that this is done but also Jesus I want to also pray for every person in here and if you're under the sound of my voice and you're saying listen I don't know the love of Jesus I've never received him as my personal Lord and Savior I have no idea what you're talking about but you know what I want to try today I want to give it a shot today I want to say, if you're that person in here, you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I just want you to repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, please come into my life. I confess that Jesus is Lord, that your love for me is a great love, an uncommon love, and I want to know that love. Thank you, Jesus. I receive your love. Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.